You're listening to Senior Rx Radio, brought to you by ASCP. Visit us online at ASCP.com slash podcasts. ASCP, empowering pharmacists, transforming aging. Welcome to Senior Rx Radio. I'm Dr. Jaron Stout. And I am Dr. Joanne Pio, and we are your hosts of Senior Rx Radio. Today's guest is Dr. Kimber Booth, founder and CEO of the Kimber Booth Group an organization focused on strategic pharmacy leadership. Welcome to today's show. Thank you both so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, Kimber, we're glad to have you on the show. I've been reading up on some of the stuff you do, and it's it's awesome. Maybe give the listeners just a little bit of background on uh, what you do and how you've got here. Sure. Well, you know, my passion is all about pharmacy. And what I'm currently doing is because I have heard so much from pharmacy leaders and pharmacists in our profession, that it's a a challenging time. And that we're often asked to do more with less. We're having to justify our staff members facing barriers to requesting staff and not getting appropriate reimbursement for our services. So it's been my goal to create a framework to for pharmacists to strategically advocate for roles and resources so we can advance pharmacy practice. So my background has mostly been in health system pharmacy. I've worked in hospitals and health systems initially as a clinical pharmacist moving up and have been a director of pharmacy for clinical services and an academic health system, as well as a system director of pharmacy for a community health system. Uh, and I've also spent 10 years in the pharma industry. But through my roles, I've definitely learned a lot about strategic planning, writing business plans, and I've had some successes in advocating for resources because what breaks my heart and what they always ask you when you're thinking about your passion is that pharmacy team members are underutilized and we have so many medication needs out there. And it's my passion to try and address those. And there are no more pressing needs than senior care, for sure, when you look at what the projections are. So I have now transitioned to be a full-time entrepreneur, providing strategic coaching and consulting to health systems to help them advance practice through adding more resources and definitely supporting senior care is one of those topics where we can do more with more, which is my motto. Okay. I love it. So in that case, I have a couple of questions right off the bat. So you kind of give some background. You've been a director of pharmacy in two different hospitals. You've got a lot of experience in that area. And now you're running your own consulting firm. So first off, is there any specific instances or scenarios that happen in your career that kind of led you here to decide to build your own consulting business? And second of all, why did you want to put such an emphasis on senior care? What is so important about it? Yeah. So first of all, when I came back from the pharma industry to work as a director of clinical services for an academic health system, you know, one of the things they've asked me to work on was practice advancement. And while things were very strong there, we just really wanted to advance practice. And so I worked collaboratively with team members, but providers, finance to create a platform of multiple business plans to add what ultimately ended up being about 65 positions over the course of two years. Some of those positions were focused on acute care setting and improving transitions of care, while others were focused on the ambulatory setting, getting more pharmacists in the ambulatory clinics that are connected to those hospital health system connected clinics. 
And so I really enjoyed doing that. And we, it was so positive. We saw great, you know, patient outcomes. The providers were engaged and really happy to have the pharmacist now part of the team. And so I had that success and then I had to relocate to another state due to my husband's job and was able to take on a new role. And in that role as the system director of pharmacy also worked on some strategic initiatives. They were definitely looking for some transformation and growth. And we looked innovatively at where we could find return on investment sources of that balance to say we can add pharmacy services, ultimately, which improves outcomes. And we were able to add those services, again, both in the acute care setting and their ambulatory settings. So I have now, you know, transitioned to helping more health systems doing this service because I do see some of the challenges in our profession. And so I do work with other pharmacy entrepreneurs who, you know, encourage me, you know, to make the leap. I was having an impact where I was, but I wanted to share this message, my motto of pharmacy can do more with more. And I wanted to get out there and help more team members to advocate for these resources. I know there's, again, challenges I mentioned at the beginning with reimbursement. There's concerns that there's a surplus of pharmacists graduating. My whole plan is to increase the demand for pharmacists. And I think there are huge needs. So of course, keeping in mind the consulting that I'm doing is more like business consulting than, than the typical consultant pharmacists I know that are working and doing clinical services for what you do. And I was a clinical pharmacist at one point. I worked in a cardiology ICU and cardiac surgery was my specialty. But the reason why senior care and geriatrics is such an important topic is when you do look at the trends in healthcare and the aging population, when you look at there's so many aspects to patients who are older, you know, between the fact that our aging population is expected, you know, to be doubling, they're on complex medication regimens. And of course, when it comes to medication safety, they have a disproportionate share or impact really of adverse drug events. And so of any population that needs pharmacy services, definitely the older population of patients need our services and it's not utilized as much. So while I do look at a whole host of, you know, my whole goal is to help support the entire pharmacy enterprise for all the areas that health systems are touching from the clinics to the transitions to the home care, all of those aspects and every specialty, but definitely older adults need more attention and support. And so I've been very much in favor of adding roles specifically to support that. And one recent initiative that started with the American Hospital Association is called the Age-Friendly Health System. And I just found that to be a very useful initiative that's really highlighting the fact that we could do better in our health systems. Love it. And I love how you said that we could do more with more because it seems like you said earlier that we're constantly <laughs> trying to do more while getting less. But if we were given more, we could do so many more great things. 
Absolutely. You know, I, I love this. You know, I don't know when I had come up with that as many years ago, but that's the thing is, you know, I actually cringe when people talk about doing more with less and not to say that we can't use technology. We can't, we can definitely be innovative to maximize our resources that we have and not waste time. I'm a big fan of, you know, practicing at the top of your license. And the reason why I tend to say pharmacy can do more with more is, you know, our technicians are huge parts of our care. So that's why I don't like to just narrow it down and say pharmacists can do more with more. I like to say pharmacy because it's the whole team that's providing that care. But ultimately, what I like to say to kind of boil it down is we can do more with more to solve the quadruple aim that we have of, you know, improving quality, improving the patient experience, improving provider engagement, reducing burnout. And ultimately, we can reduce costs. So while there is an investment, and sometimes you do need to justify that, but there are innovative ways that we can find that return on investment because as we're part of the care team, we can improve the overall value by reducing admissions, you know, helping that patient get out of the hospital faster, you know, preventing them from needing to go into the hospital because we manage their drug regimens better. So there's so many things we can do to add value, not to say that we shouldn't be trying to get provider status to, or really what we're trying to focus on is saying we should get reimbursed for our services because we, we in many cases have access to be providers. We're just not allowed to get reimbursed for that right now. So, so I'm glad you like my motto. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of times it just comes down to us showing what we're capable of. Otherwise, people will never know and we'll never get the things we're trying to get. So true. So sometimes we have to kind of go above and beyond to show that value. So So that being said, what type of partnerships do we as pharmacists need to advocate for? And where should we direct our efforts to get into these on tap markets? Yeah, well, definitely. I think that health systems, again, are, are fairly broad in terms of their needs. And so when you when you think about a hospital health system, again, there's many areas that just I happen to focus my initiatives around health systems. And when you think about the number of providers that are part of health systems these days, there's less and less independent team members. But, you know, health systems from that whole enterprise, like I mentioned, you know, you have the acute care. So there's definitely older care, senior care needs in the acute care setting. And there's models around that. There's the transitions of care and how do we have better handoffs, both on admission and discharge, whether that patient's going to different types of post-acute care locations or long-term care. There is those ambulatory clinics that are involved where, of course, the chronic care is being provided to patients. And then, of course, there are long-term care facilities, which many are independent, but there is a good amount of long-term care facilities that are affiliated with health systems. So I think that, you know, forming partnerships and identifying this as a topic with health systems. So in some cases, maybe they're a health system that is on the cutting edge of being engaged with this initiative that I mentioned, the age-friendly health system that really came together between the American Hospital Association and the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. And they may be, you know, on the cutting edge. They may have a focused team members and they may have pharmacists established in these areas. But in many cases, they don't. And so if this is a passion for somebody, as I know many of your members are, working across different settings, working as independent consultants, working for facilities, 
But if this is a passion and you know that your your health systems in your area don't have a geriatric focused plan or services, you know, approaching them and offering services either as an independent consultant to kind of get them started, helping them to justify the services that they should be providing that are laid out in these guidelines. I think there are a lot of opportunities there. And definitely my goal is to get the health systems to engage in this and to help them write their business plans to justify adding additional positions in these roles. So basically your client are health systems. So trying to understand more about your organization, a health system like a hospital would possibly contact you and you would help them basically formulate a plan on how to create an age-friendly platform. Exactly. You know, most of my clients, yes, are health system leaders. They are pharmacy leaders or other leaders in the health system that are trying to advance, you know, care through through pharmacy services. I also do work with independent entrepreneurs who are consultant pharmacists or trying to do independent MTM therapy and try to help them to navigate health systems. So I do do some of that through my one-on-one coaching. I also have people that take a program that I offer where I teach about how to write business plans and and create a strategic plan that would work for (laughs) talking to the health systems. But yes, most of my time is now spent with the health systems themselves where either I write the business plan for them, we get the input or I'm helping their team members. That's really what I like to do is it be a teaching opportunity. I want pharmacy team members to know more about how to write business plans because not only do we want to help with you know, this type of topic, but they may need to add services for pharmacogenomics or functional medicine or, you know, again, acute care. They need pharmacists in the emergency department. There's there's so many needs where we don't have pharmacists. I actually like to, to use a whole checklist of, you know, where are all the service lines in your health system? Are you supporting it? And it, it's a wide range. And Again, most people leave senior care off their list, but it's definitely an important area to say, do you have a specialist in this area? Wow, that's very good. That's very innovative. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, I love that you were talking earlier about trying to team up with health systems that are in long-term care and whatnot. And one of my main goals and objectives since I've started my own consulting business is I my ultimate goal is I want to make it so that the consultant pharmacist is provided by the medical team or the medical director. And I think that opens the door for much better communication, much better clinical care, Mm -hmm. puts you on the same page. You can operate under collaborative practice. It opens so many more doors and it kind of stops, you know, dead in its tracks, the the current system where it's just a a dispensing pharmacist service and it's uh, very cut and dry, very bare minimum, and mostly regulatory based. And that's really cutting our profession short when we're not utilizing our clinical expertise. So I I really love what you're saying there. Yeah, I fully agree. And I have definitely heard you on this podcast, uh, Jaren, talking about your your services and what you're doing. And I think that is, is definitely key. I think And we need to be bold, you know, because we are that medication expert. And while some people don't always understand our capacity, you know, a big word that I like to use is accountability. 
you know, I've used that in my different leadership roles. It's just key for me that pharmacists take accountability for the medication use process. And, And that includes everything. It's definitely the the supplying of the medication, I that is still so important. Like we still have team members who have to be experts. The whole drug supply chain, especially right now with drug shortages in this current crisis, we need to be experts at the medications and the supply chain, but we need to be accountable for every step of the med use process. Anytime a med is being like prescribed, <laughs> dispensed or administered, like we need to make sure that process is safe. So whether, again, it's getting the med, making sure meds are being ordered correctly, that we have systems that do that and that we're checking them, we're monitoring the patients for for side effects and adherence, and in following up with the patients and using innovative tools like pharmacogenomics where it's appropriate. And even, you know, sometimes getting down to the administration, you know, I love when Pharmacists are really going to the home, you know, where we have been able to set up like concierge models where pharmacists can actually visit the home. We identify a lot of med errors that way. There's a whole host of areas that, again, there's just errors happening at inappropriate rates. You know, my husband works in aviation. And of course, it's, you know, we've often compared ourselves to aviation and safety and just the number of med errors, especially the ones that cause bad outcomes, you know, is equivalent to like planes crashing all too often. And so I I often think about that. And again, that's, that's what breaks my heart, keeps me up at night. And so it's just my passion to try and help, you know, advance and definitely to your point, you know, we need to be bold and be accountable for that med use process. Yeah, and we have the training to be more proactive to prevent those crashes. So very good analogy. Yes. Yeah, very telling. And I was reading over that that info you, you sent us in that correspondence earlier from the AHA, and it talked about the four M's, which were focusing on what matters, about yes. mentation, mobility, and medications. So obviously pharmacists are great at focusing on the medications, but do you think there's other areas we could help in the other three M's? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think the mentation topic is definitely another easy one because that's about, you know, treating the patients where, of course, we know that many of our senior patients are going to have issues, dementia, depression, delirium. And and we need to make sure we're helping to identify that in our patients if they're undertreated and helping them to manage that. But I do think it's it's more than that. It is, you know, the what matters, you know, and that's that M in terms of matters, you know, is again, putting the patient centered approach and making sure we are talking to them and understanding what they want out of their their life and, and what they want to be able to do because they are having to balance a lot of different medications. And so while seniors, we are usually treating diseases in many cases, there are still ways that we can provide preventative care, help encouraging healthy habits through uh, the work that we do with them. So, uh, yeah, so I think we can touch just about everything here, probably even mobility, the, the fact that the medications themselves impact mobility sometimes. And we, of course, are checking and assessing that through fears criteria and others to make sure that patients are not on meds that will cause them to fall when we're trying to keep them as mobile as possible. 
So it's about being that bold and accountable, taking charge of these other M's, not just the medications, like going into the mentation and the mobility. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I find some sometimes, and, and I don't know that I fully understand it, but sometimes I do find that pharmacists are reactive and, and they're not taking that, you know, proactive accountability. And so what happens is that our role could be diminished if, if that's the only role we want to take, you know, if people have to come to us. But if we are proactive, accountable, we look holistically at a patient, you know, we can provide more care. And and it, it takes more team members, again, so the, the challenges in, in some of our areas, we don't have enough team members. We're, we're staffing our outpatient pharmacies and others maybe to focus on the dispensing, and we don't have time to spend with patients. Even in the acute care setting, sometimes the pharmacist has to take care of so many patients that they can't address every issue. So my goal is to get to the appropriate care team ratio. It's common in other areas like nursing, physicians, you know, even, you know, providers, they have a certain panel of patients they're responsible for. And we need to be within that ratio that your care team has a pharmacist in it. And that's critical. But we have to step up and take that accountable role. And then I think people will be happy to have us there. And then the reimbursement will come. We do have to work on that. I know you've talked to other guests and do a lot of work on, on looking at those aspects too, but we at least have to step up and, and be accountable first. Also, one of the things I was looking at in your uh, document was about the need to revamp or uh, do a better job with medication reconciliation. In your experience, what are some ways that we can improve that process? Yeah, so definitely that that high risk point of the transitions of care in and out, uh, especially to the acute care setting. But of course, it occurs at a lot of different levels of care as, as you know, our patients are moving from home to a long term care you know, or acute care or to an intermediate care. Every one of those touch points is a is a high risk for a medication error. So I've definitely been on the health system side a big advocate, and a lot of my business plans that I've written have been to increase resources for having a role that we call a medication history technician, as well as ensuring that we are improving our technology. I was actually a co-investigator in the Marquee 2 study, which was an initiative from the AHRQ group and out of Boston that helped to look at ways that we could provide interventions that would allow us to reduce the medication errors and Definitely from that research and, and my own personal research through that study, you know, we know that having a dedicated resource like a pharmacy technician who understands medications can really improve that process and the documentation of the patient's medication history. But definitely having as optimal as possible an electronic health record that has that list of patients' medications, and we're actively updating it through a variety of mechanisms like allowing the patients to update their list and tell us, you know, when they're home, you know, when they can go into their apps and update this. That doesn't work for all patients, especially some of our elderly patients. So overall, when it comes to this, I do wish it could be more automated. The challenge is with our electronic health records, they are just not as interoperable as you'd like them. And then we have all these other issues with samples, with patients taking over-the-counter medicines that 
there's not a good answer yet, except to do these open-ended best possible medication histories with the appropriate oversight of a pharmacist to ensure that reconciliation is correct, both on admission and their transitions within the hospital and then their transition home where we provide discharge med reconciliation and a warm handoff to whatever care level they're going to, whether they're going to be going to the own clinics or they're going to a skilled nursing facility or long-term care, that we're ensuring that that med list that's being communicated is, is accurate. But honestly, it, is, it still does require a good amount of manual work. And the reason why they call it a best possible medication history is it's that. It's not the perfect history just because our technology these days. I actually worked on this topic during a hackathon one time, which I don't know if you're familiar with hackathons, but it is a, a way that people get together to solve problems from diverse backgrounds. And then there's investors there and you know, so we worked on this topic, but it's amazing the people from the, the Yale group and the MIT were there and they said they've seen a lot of people try to do hackathons around med reconciliation and they almost always fail. It is just it is a complicated process. Well, within the hackathon, like when they try to come up with a solution over a weekend, it doesn't doesn't work well. I would love to, and that would probably be a whole other show to talk about how we really do need to improve the interoperability. But in my experience, having dedicated team members from pharmacy, both with technicians and pharmacists, has greatly reduced the discrepancies that you see that when you compare a process without that, you know, we can greatly decrease the discrepancies like 90%, you know, when a wow. typical med history to a hospital has usually about four errors per patient discrepancies. Right. So that means that there's four issues with their med list when they enter the hospital. So we don't exactly know what they're taking, whether we're missing a med, we have the wrong dose, we double the dose, we have an extra med that they should no longer be taking. There are on average four. And then when you add this process with a medication history tech with oversight by a pharmacist who is, is proactively reviewing, and in some cases, actually the pharmacists are actually ordering the meds through collaborative career agreements. They are pending the orders so the physicians may just activate them. And the same thing at discharge. You can see many programs where innovatively, the pharmacist is entering and ordering those meds at discharge to ensure that appropriate, safe transitions of care. And that wow. greatly reduces the discrepancies. The reason why it's very hard to get to 100% is there is that medication potentially, again, that the patient got a sample of and you've asked, you've asked care, you've asked their their relatives, you know, that are there, you've asked them, they just don't remember it, even with those open-ended questions. And it didn't make it to the note from the doctor's visit because it was a sample taken out of the closet. So it's very hard to capture some of those things, but overall it really significantly reduces it. So big Great. proponent of adding that resource for sure. Yeah. And what I love about that is that you included pharmacy techs, because I think we always tend to just be like, oh, we can do it, but always try to increase the interdisciplinary approach when there's a problem and get more perspectives on board. Absolutely. And we need to be efficient like that. But I, I like to say, I mentioned before, like pharmacists need to practice at the top of their license. Right. Then I think 
technicians need to practice at the top of their certification because they're fully capable of doing a lot of these things. And then we need to use technology <laughs> to its full capacity. So so we need to make sure all those things are, are optimized because there is still, right. again, more that pharmacy can be doing. And the pharmacist themselves, who is uniquely trained to do, there are things that other team members or technology can can do for us so that we have time to do all of those other things that we... we... And another thing I think is sometimes when we say provider status, it kind of turns a lot of people who don't understand the profession off. I think that there's a misconception. I was talking about this with a, a student pharmacist the other day, and he had the same problem. He had a misconception of what provider status meant and what it was. It's not us prescribing meds. It's just our ability to bill for our time yes. so that we can actually utilize our clinical expertise more effectively. Yeah. I've been on the on many state society boards and, and I'm now on the Kentucky Society of Health System Pharmacists board. And as we've worked on some of the legislation, we've definitely changed the language. And I know other states that have gotten reimbursement passed, like Ohio and um, Tennessee in my area, they, they've changed the terminology to focus on the reimbursement. And so when we say, right. you know, the reimbursement for services, and then you talk to doctors, they're like, what do you mean you didn't get reimbursed for that? Like they, they exactly. just assume, whereas if you're, if you're talking about provider status, it's like you, they think you're trying to take over some of their turf in some ways. While they appreciate your role, they still want to protect their role as well. But once you change exactly. the terminology, it's like, oh, what do you mean you didn't get reimbursed for that? So, yeah, very important. Right. So in your opinion, what is the most important and crucial items to include in a strategic business plan? Well, most important, try and find a return on investment as much as possible. So unfortunately, while we we know the value, there's plenty of papers that, that support the value of pharmacists. But when a health system is trying to balance their resources, it is important to have some type of a return on investment. And the other key part of that is you have to write the plan in, in their language you know, so talking about pharmacist interventions, these things that are common in our terminology are not as important to that senior person who's going to be reading it. Uh, so I think those are, are definitely critical to make sure you have a return on investment and you're talking in the language of the people who are ultimately going to be approving it. You can have those other meetings up front, but Knowing your process and who's going to approve it, it's it's not going to be the physician that you're working with, unfortunately, who's ultimately going to approve adding resources and headcount. Very good. Thank you so much for coming on today's show. Like you have shared such a wealth of knowledge. And I think the three main points that I just got from you is, you know, to be bold, be accountable and make sure there's a return on investment. Absolutely. And it's definitely there. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And I really appreciate everything that uh, ASCP is doing for your members and for the country. So thank you so much. You bet. Thanks for coming on the show.